Hey listeners, we've loved delving into the business of wine with you and our guests. Your feedback via email, text, social media, and by joining us on our live episodes on Clubhouse has meant the world to us, and we keep striving to do better and better. Some of you have asked on how you can help support the show. So we've decided to launch on Patreon, where your contributions can offset the cost of the show and you can get access to our full library of episodes with more benefits to come. To become a patron of X Chateau, go to patreon.com slash X Chateau to lend your support starting at $5 a month. You can find the link in our show notes or on xchateau.com. We will give a shout out to all new patrons each episode. Welcome to X Chateau. X Chateau. The podcast that navigates the business of wine with unique perspectives and insights with your host, Robert Vernick and Peter Young. Welcome to this episode of X Chateau. Today, we are back with Jean-Baptiste Lecaillon, Chef de Cave at Champagne Louis Rotor, and Xavier Barlet, Senior Vice President of Marketing and Communications at Mason's Marks and Domains USA, which is the importation arm of Champagne Louis Rotor. Our focus is the move to organic and biodynamic farming in the vineyards of Champagne. If you want to catch up on their backgrounds, please listen to the previous episode and you can hear everything there. As we mentioned earlier, Rotor is such a large vineyard owner, and you've been a champion of moving in the region to biodynamic viticulture. I'm curious on why the choice for House Rotor to move into biodynamics over organics or something else like sustainable agriculture. It's a move towards organic. Let's put it that way. I prefer to call it organic because everybody understands when we speak organic. Biodynamics sometimes can be complicated. And if you add on the top of that the philosopher on Rodolf Steiner's philosophy, this is not, we cannot be very proud sometimes. So I like to see the biodynamic movement more the children of Goethe, of the vision of Goethe, of this observation and the craftsmanship that a farmer must do on the land, looking at everything including the animals, the trees, the forest, the vines, the family around that, taking care of every part of the ecosystem. This is all the idea that you can also see in the permaculture movement. I was lucky enough to meet 30 years ago uh, Bill Mollison in Australia, who was the father of permaculture with Masanobo Fukuoka from Japan. And that was exactly the same idea of saying we are part of the ecosystem. We human beings, even if we make wine or we use what the natural resources, we are full part of the ecosystem. If we take too much of the resources, we take part of the development of our own family. So we have to play on a balance point. What I add to my soils, what I take from my crop, what I give to the animals, the balance must be very harmonious and in a continuum of intention of beautiful things. That's all the idea. It's to look for beauty. And I think I always say, I visit the vineyards with visitors. I say, I'm not saying I have the best vineyards, but what I'm sure of, I have the most beautiful vineyards. And because they are beautiful, because my soil is beautiful, because my team is beautiful, we make beautiful wine at the end, because we are in this design of making things harmoniously developing together. Biodynamic, I've tested many why we decided to go for biodynamic because when we started organic, we said, okay, organic is good because we stop using herbicides, pesticides, and so on, but that's it. 
with the permaculture or the biodynamic movement, you add life to your soil. You go to the next level. It's not only to not use pesticide, it's to add life, compost, whatever you can to make your soil fertility very harmonious and working very well. And you build the fertility of your soils. And by doing that, you decrease even more the use of copper and sulfur, which are allowed in organic farming. So in the end, the goal, and there is only one goal, it was to take all the tools available, and biodynamic is one of them, but not only, all the tools available that will allow to get a more harmonious development, producing deep-rooted vines, producing very delicious, very beautiful juices that we will transform in fantastic wines. So that was all the idea. Instead of saying, I have so many vines, so many hectares, I must crop that much and I will make that much bottles. It's looking at the health of your terroir, making them sing and making them in balance. And that's very important to be in balance because the final wine will eventually be in balance as well. And this is why we want to do I can do that at Rodreur because we are a family business. Don't ever forget that. And because we are family business, we are not corporate. The family has been here for seven generations. We talk about sustainable development. What is more sustainable than seven generations staying on the same territory and making wines for seven generations? This is sustainability. The only goal of the family is that the eighth generation will stay on the ground and the ninth generation as well. So we need to build for the long term, for the next generations, not just for the immediate turnover or what we can get. We build for the future. And that's why we use all the tools. But biodynamic is one of them. We do massal selection as well. We grow our own rootstocks, our own massal selection of Pinot Noir. We do our own compost. Uh, we do a lot of things in short cycles around the property. What we take out from the property goes back in the property in a way. So there is a natural movement of balance as well. So this is all the story of living in harmony that is key to our philosophy at Louis Rodreux. So although you grow a lot of your own grapes, you still purchase grapes. I am curious, since you've made the changes to organics and biodynamics, what has been the impact to the growers? And have you required them to change or have they naturally seen your vineyards change and have wanted to adopt as well? It's a very good question and it's a very difficult one. I think in vineyards, in the world of vines, you don't count in years. The unit is not a year. It's not a decade. It's a generation. It's a generation. So you will never teach or ask a grower that has been making his grapes for 20 years like this to change. He will not change. But his son or daughter can change. We bet on this. This is where we invest. We think that today we need to bring those growers into our family and explain them. We educate them to what we do, trying to keep them close to us, testing the wines. We single vineyard ferment everything, so deliver a plot. We ferment them separately, and they can come in the winter and test their plot. So they are part of the family story. That's a very important moment. They are close to us. And by being close to us, 
we think that the next generation, the young generation that is much more sensitive to this will move in the right direction. So it's a question of time. We have to be slow and patient and that will happen. More specifically, I have a team. One of my enologists who has been working with me for 10 years in the cellar, he knows exactly the style of wine we are looking for. I changed his job five years ago to look at all the growers. So his job is to visit three or four times a year in the vineyards, in the plots we buy, each grower. So they visit, they discuss the wine, they come here in the winter as well to test the wines. So there is a permanent link with the grower. And if the grower one day asks for knowledge, uh, for uh, how should I do to be less using less fertilizer or so on, we help them and we transfer our knowledge. But it has to be on his first initiative. You know, you cannot say uh, you'll do it because they, and they won't do it for money. They just do it because they're ready to do it. And it's a long-term work. And I have a specific team, as I said, who is doing that, deciding the picking dates with the growers as well to say you should pick next week on Monday or Tuesday because this is uh, we think this is good for what we think the quality should be this year. And by talking, by exchanging, uh, by uh, testing together, slowly they come in the family. And definitely the children, when they come in charge, move strongly in this direction. 20 years ago, less than 1% of the vineyard in Champagne were organically farmed. 10 years ago, this was 2%, 2.5%. Last year, it was between 8 and 9%. So this is jumping now. And this jump from 2 to nine, 8 or 9% is really the result of the new generation coming in and wanting to produce their grapes in a different way. So is farming in the permaculture, organic, biodynamic way, is it more expensive than conventional? And does it impact the yields at all as well? So it is more expensive because there is much more labor required by organic because you play with little chemicals. So you need to be available seven days a week, work on a Saturday and a Sunday. This is more work, much more work and much more disponibility as well from the team. And I have a fantastic team for that. It took us 20 years, but they all share the same passion. So if, if they have to come on a Saturday or a Sunday, they do it. There is no problem. So we really have at Rodreur a fantastic team in the vineyards that can do it. So more work, yes. We have employed, hired, increased the workforce by 15% because of organic and biodynamic farming. On the yield side, some years you lose more yields because you have less protection. And you can go up to minus 30% in yields on one specific year. But if you take it on an average of 10 years, for example, this is more like minus 5, minus 7, minus 10%. You can have up and downs. In the final results, you're 5 to 10% down. So this is acceptable in that way. As I said, 15% more cost plus 5, 10% less crop, that means a final bottom line that is uh, more expensive. And do consumers understand or care about the mystical elements of biodynamics? It's a very good question. It's a very important question. 
I think what matters to the consumer in the first place, if we consider it from a pyramid of needs, if you wish, is that first that the champagne is delicious. I think you have to produce a, a one that's delicious. And of course, the higher the price point, the higher the level of perfection you need to achieve. And that was, again, the purpose of collection, not to do a better Brut Premier, but to do something completely different, moving from non-vintage to a wine that has much more identity. Again, the challenge of the 20th century was consistency. I think the challenge and the opportunity of the 21st century is identity. You've got to produce one with very strong identity. And to that extent, your questions pertain to the terroir and how you manage your vineyards and how you make the wine. And I think the consumers at the price point we are talking about, they are very mindful of how natural the wine or the champagne is. And if within your narrative, it's not the narrative, but it's within your story, you can share with them how good of a steward of your land you are, I think it has a lot of value for them because you address a higher purpose or a higher need in the consumer's pyramid as defined by Dr. Maslow. It's not just longer a nice beverage or a beverage with a nice packaging. This is in the higher self-realization where actually drinking a champagne that is made in organic viticulture or in permaculture or in biodynamic makes you feel good because somehow you sponsor or you support a green planet. And I think the big picture is to be eco-friendly. And if you can prove that by facts, not just a, a nice story. This morning, Jean-Baptiste posted on Instagram photos of the vineyard in Montagne de Reims and Valais de la Marne in Côte des Blancs, where he shows his fans, because Uralea doesn't have customers, Uralea has fans, the subsoil of our vineyards. And after all these years, and I've known Uralea for 40 years, after all these years, I'm still amazed. And somehow in my subconscious, when I see a bottle of Uralea on the shelf or on the menu and I see the price, I feel good about paying whatever the price is because it addresses various levels of various layers in my personality, if you wish. So as Rotor switches over to biodynamic farming, things obviously get more expensive. What are your thoughts on how that increased cost of biodynamic farming, how that impacts the actual end pricing to consumers for the wines? Well, Robert, it's a strategic decision. This is a decision that you're going to carry for a long time. You cannot switch your footing if you decide, like Jean-Baptiste and Louis Rodrer in the late 1990s, to turn all your vineyards, and we're talking about 650 acres of vineyards, in a region that's been historically challenged by weather patterns, this is a very, very heavy decision to take. But once you have embarked upon that journey, there is no going back. And the big picture was not so much one of the disciplines or one of the practices of viticulture. The big picture was to be good steward of the land and to produce a wines from the terroir of Rodrea that we love that expression of Rodrea that capture the energy and the identity of the terroir. And I think to that extent, Rodrea, the wines of Rodrea are very distinctive, like other colleagues of ours, by the way, that we love as well. Rodrea is a very specific proposition. And again, the point is to acquire fans. There are enough brands with enough 
customers, but this is a kind of a different. Jean-Baptiste, when did you make the move to biodynamic organic? Like what year was that? We started in 2000. So 2000, we started with a few hectares. So it was at the time six hectares in 2000. So small part of the estate. In 20 years, we have moved from six hectares to 125 hectares. Is that 100% of all estate fruit? No, it's 50% of the estate, but 100% of the historic estate. And that's very important. One year ago, when we created Crystal, Rodreur owned about 120 hectares. And this very initial vineyard, the Crystal Vineyard and all the historic vineyard of Rue Rodreur, 125 hectares, have been now organically certified. And that's where we decided to do the move because this is our asset number one. And this is where we make crystal and most of the prestige of the vintage category wines. So it makes sense. This was the first vineyard to convert to organic and biodynamic. But we are moving slightly every year. We add a little bit. So it's a permanent move. Today we are 50-50. Uh, maybe in 10 years' time, we'd be 70, 30, and uh, so on. So with over 240 years of history, what are the next evolutions you see for Rotor for the next century? As I said, I think we have to shift. The last 100 years, we have done some, the champagne has moved from dessert wine to aperitif. I think now we have to come back gently, stay on the celebration and aperitif, but move gently towards more gastronomy. Champagne is a fantastic gastronomic wine. It is low alcohol. It is fresh, saline, salivating. And this is a perfect pairing with multiple food. It can go from um, fish, raw fish, but also meat and white meat, cheese, and so on. So I think we need to develop this consumption and people can realize how versatile is champagne. And by the way, that they realize how graceful aging crystal and vintage wines can develop. You know, they can do a very graceful aging with time. This is what is in front of us, trying to make people understanding. And we can see that in Japan, for example, people really understand that. It goes very well with Japanese food, for sure they start to understand that and uh, it's moving. I think this is a next step for Champagne. As far as innovation or farming, I think we have to regenerated our soils being organic now. So we have done the, the work on the soils. The big challenge we have now is to regenerate our material vineyards, all Pinot Noir, all Chardonnay, all these individuals that have been with us for 240 years also making wine here. We need to regenerate them in a way that, you know, when you domesticate vines, they get more and more virus. So you need to protect them and you need to give them more energy by reselecting some individuals, by playing around with this biodiversity that exists inside the vinifera world. A vinifera vine, Pinot Noir, mutates all the time. Soft mutation, not visible, but it does mutate and it does mutate essentially because of the environment, because it's cold, because it's wet, because it's warmer. It does change its DNA or it, it adapts as well. 
And this is this adaptation that I'm talking about. Since we have worked on decoded the DNA of vines, we now have some scientific tools to understand what's going on, what's moving, in what direction. I'm not saying about manipulating it, but observing it, because certainly there are some great possibilities in front of us. Uh, I never forget that Pinot Noir has moved for thousand years. It comes from the Middle Age. And it has seen so much different conditions, warm and cold, in its life that it's already a survivor. It has adapted. So let's understand that, that a Pinot Noir is not, each individual is in the family of Pinot Noir, and this ecosystem is very strong. We have to reinvent as well our old varieties that have been eliminated with time. You know, in Champagne, we have seven allowed varieties. Mainly, we use Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, and Meunier, but there is also Pinot Blanc, Pinot Gris, Petit Mélier, and Arban. Those all varieties that have been disqualified because they were too acidic, not ripening enough in certain conditions, can be requalified in the new conditions of today. And we are working on that as well. I have replanted all of them in some plots to requalify them and see again what they can bring today and make things more complex. So I think the genetic material, the vines themselves, are really the next step. They are the reason of test. They bring the test of each wine. And we need to focus a little bit on that. There is a soil, but I think we have it under control now. And there is also the vines themselves. So it's a program we have started 15 years ago, so it's a long program because uh, it takes a lot of time to select, separate, analyze, select, separate, regenerate. It's a long, long work, but it's a fascinating one to do before we disqualify our own grapes saying that because of climate change, we need to create new hybrids or we need to import new vines from anywhere else in the world. I'm not saying we should not do it. I'm saying we have already some solution inside. So let's work on these solutions and, of course, study what can be done also around. And last but not least, climate change is an issue here, not so much as a risk for Champagne, because I don't think it's such a risk. I think it's more a benefit, in fact, than a risk. We must do our share of decreasing the rise of temperature. So we should decrease our footprints, carbon footprints. We should decrease our biodiversity footprints. We should increase, in fact, the biodiversity as much as possible. And so we have to do our share to this worldwide movement that should save the planet, save the planet, or at least reduce our impact on the planet, and the organic movement is part of this. If we switch to organic, it's also to reduce our footprint, to really uh, slow down and see what we can do better. So we have some great challenges ahead. Xavier, to wrap up the episodes, since you've answered our wrap-up question before in a 2021 year-end wrap-up episode, we wanted to do something with a little bit of a twist. What was the most memorable wine you've ever had, and who did you drink it with? I remember that one very well also. It was Domaine de la Romaine-Conti, and I was invited to a lunch at Le Bernardin, which is one of my favorite restaurants. The gentleman who was hosting the lunch received a glass of Domaine de la Romaine-Conti from another table, 
And I understand that uh, the gentleman who was uh, gifting that glass of Bomade Conti to my host was a banker and that they had some very successful uh, past experiences together. He just wanted to send a message of friendship. And my host was very kind to share the glass with me. And out of nowhere, I tasted this wine. I didn't know what that was. And that was something very special because not only tasted wonderful and like perfection, but tasted like no other wine I ever tasted before. It was a completely different experience. And I thought the world of wine was something kind of homogeneous with better wines or lesser wine. But this is, I think, out of this world, to use an English expression, literally out of this world. That sounds like an amazing experience. Well, thank you both for joining the episode. We appreciate on both of the episodes. It was great to learn a lot how Louis Rotor is approaching the move to biodynamics. Don't forget to go to patreon.com slash xchateau if you'd like to support us in bringing you the highest quality content on the business of wine. Thanks for joining us. If you loved this episode of X Chateau, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.